Hey everyone, this is Vadim again with 90s Guy Babble. So uh, I want to start a few uh, sessions or seasons or episodes of, uh, of my podcast regarding my battle with drugs and alcohol and kind of my backstory on how all that happened and took place in my life. Um, the reason I decided to start this now is because uh, I went to rehab about two and a half months ago. Um, <clears throat> I have a few good things that, you know, I was taught there, a lot of good tools to use in life that uh, I would love to share with people because, you know, in life, if you don't know something, you're not going to know it till someone tells you. And, uh, you know, my podcast here, I'm, I don't do it because I think I know something or I don't do it because I think I'm better than anyone or I don't do it because, uh. I know a lot or have been taught a lot or have been successful in my life with the things I know. Um, I do it because, well, first off, I just want a place to just babble, just be able to kind of talk and vent. And uh, I do it because, you know, maybe through that talk and through that babble, through that venting, there might be somebody that hears something or picks something up that might be able to help them in life. And uh, really, I mean, the way I look at it is if, out of all the things in life that I could be doing, you know, work, um, going to meetings, you know, trying to better my life, uh, the least I could do is produce something that can give someone out there some glint of some kind of hope or truth or something for them to grasp onto that can help them make it through their daily lives. You know, and I believe that every person out there has a bit of knowledge, a bit of truth, a bit of something to, to pass on to the next person. Uh, so my story starts back at, uh, about junior high when I was, I would say maybe 13. Um, I don't know what age you'd be in seventh grade. Um, so I'd say about 13, 14, maybe 13. Um, excuse me guys, man, in my throat. And uh, so it starts with uh, just the most common, you know, I guess, drug or whatever you want to call it. I know most people don't consider pot a drug, but it starts with pot. Uh, you know, when people say pot's a gateway drug, I have my own theories on that. Um, the reason I believe pot can be a gateway drug is not because necessarily pot opens your mind to other drugs, but in a sense... Uh, it puts you in situations or positions where you're around people who don't necessarily hold or most of the times don't necessarily hold your views on pot or don't necessarily hold your views on what you're just going to do. Like I remember I had a lot of friends that used to say, you know, oh, I'm only going to smoke pot and I'm never going to do anything else. And, you know, five years later, they're strung out on really hard drugs, you know, drinking all the time, um, you know, wasting their lives away. So if you look at it, you know, you're kind of like, well, if it's not at least some form of a gateway drug, how is it that a lot of people who say they're going to stick to pot end up doing other drugs? Well, if you don't want to blame pot, you could say, well, when they're around pot, there tends to be other people who are doing other things, not just pot, because for the most part, people who are doing other drugs, um, they're going to be smoking pot. That doesn't necessarily mean that everyone who smokes pot does other drugs or does other things that, you know, it's just how it works. You know, people who do drugs tend to do pot. 
And so if I'm around people who do pod, I might be around people who do more than just pod. And then at that point, it kind of leads to, well, are you going to, you know, uh, follow the stream and do what everyone else does? And if you're like me and you're a people pleaser and you want to make everyone around you happy and you want to fit in just like most of us are, well, you're going to end up doing the other things, you know, the people are doing. You know, if you got a majority vote and four out of six of your friends, you know, take the pill, well, for the most part, you're probably going to be one of the four. Um, the other two are, you know, sometimes they're just an anomaly. Um, so my story started with, I had a good friend back in high school. Um, I'm, I'll say his first name. I don't have to say, say last names, but his name was Marth. Um, the irony of that friend was that him and a couple other guys actually beat me up and I was in fourth or fifth grade. Um, what the reason was for, I don't even remember, but I remember my dad coming to school and, uh, having like a conversation with them and the teachers and, um, you know, dad to the rescue. And, uh, ever since after that, me and him kind of got closer together because, you know, we were foreigners. He was Mexican. I was Ukrainian. And, uh, on some level that was kind of like a little bond we had. And, um, you know, we had some similarities with parents and all this other stuff, um, the way we were raised. And, uh, so we kind of became friends and I remember going into like, uh, middle school, which is junior high or whatever you guys want to call it. See where I was in California, junior high, middle school started in seventh grade. I know for some people it starts at sixth for us to start at seventh. And, uh, <clears throat> one thing I can clearly remember is thinking about my friend and, you know, we had different classes now. It wasn't the kind of school, like it wasn't, you know, elementary where you would go to one class all day and you had the same people in the class. Now with middle school or junior high, we had, you know, seven different classes and, uh, seven different periods and different students in each one of those classes. Well, it just so happened that Marth wasn't in any one of my classes. And so our friendship kind of dwindled you know, we still hung out from time to time, um, but it was always kind of through passing. We never really uh, connected that much uh, after that. I remember, you know, before I would go to his house all the time. Uh, we would just kind of hang out, talk about stuff. And, um, and you know, we had some sor sort of a friendship going on. But in uh, middle school, we kind of separated. And I noticed with him, I could tell that for some reason it seemed like he was changing. He was... You know, back in that time, in my eyes, I thought he was more mature or he was becoming more mature. But what I think it was, was he was experimenting with things. And um, in a sense, he was becoming a little more mature because uh, he was realizing or learning what life was, um, what the don'ts in life were, what the do's in life were. And I was still just kind of a simple kid. Um, but I remember one day after school, seeing him outside of class or outside of school <clears throat> when school was over and, uh, him coming up to me and saying, man, my mom's about to pull up. Uh, I got some pot. It's some really good stuff. Um, but I don't want to just throw it away. Do you think you could keep it? Which 
you know, to anyone who smokes pot, that kind of makes sense. You know, you're not just going to throw it away. So if you got a buddy standing there, you know, you might as well give it to him. Well, he wasn't thinking about the fact that, wait, you know, Vadim probably doesn't smoke pot and all this other stuff. He just thought, well, I'm just going to give it to him because I don't want to have it. So I'd never, ever blame anybody for my mistakes or my problems or my faults. Um, so what happened was I remember that day I got the pot and I went straight home. Um, the first thing I did with it, man, was I showed it to my little brother and, uh, he was about maybe two, three years younger than me. And, uh, so yeah, he would have been about three years younger than me. So he might've been like 10 when I was 13. And uh, I just remember to this day when he saw that pot, man, his eyes like lit up because my brother was always the type of person that he, he liked new things. He always wanted to try out different things. And I was the kind of guy that I liked routine. I liked to come home, read my books, do my thing. Um, he was kind of more outgoing than I was in, in that sense. He wasn't scared of certain things. And so even at that young age, those personalities showed and, um, it, it made a big impact on his life. I feel like, um, for me, you know, I rode my bike to school the next morning. I didn't know how to smoke pot. So I just, you know, I, I got a pen, the, you know, the most simplest thing I could think of. I got a pen, took everything out of the inside of it, shoved the pot into one end and, uh, hid behind under a tree and, and lit the pen, lit the tip of the pen, which is horrible. I mean, you're melting plastic and all that, but, uh, you know, I wasn't thinking about that back then. And I just puffed on some of this pot. Well, the funny thing is, is I, I probably didn't smoke even a quarter of it and just took a few hits. And uh, But I remember the feeling that I got from it. And it was kind of scary at the time because uh, it was a little overwhelming. You know, it was different. It was something I've never felt before. But I remember also feeling really, really like mellowed out, really just kind of chill in a sense. And, uh, and that being a big part of it, you know, I grew up from a family that had a lot of different issues, a lot of fights, a lot of arguments. There was always a lot of, you know, commotion going on. So for something to give me a mellow feeling or a calm feeling, it was a big thing for me back then. And, uh, so even as a kid, I mean, I loved this stuff, you know, I, I kind of fell in love right away. And, uh, I remember after that, you know, I don't, I don't think I did it that many times in, um, in junior high, but, uh, it kind of opened my door to trying new things when it came to substances, drugs, alcohol, anything else. Um, after that, I, like I said, I don't think I did anything for a while. Um, my first run in with alcohol was probably sometime, uh, in high school, uh, well, probably more closer to eighth grade. I've already like, for instance, I was at a friend's house. He was an only child. Um, his name was Aiden. And I remember his mom had like this shelf, this liquor shelf that always had like these old bourbons and whiskeys and stuff. And uh, I remember asking him one time, I said, Hey, what if we got some of those drinks, you know, and we kind of just mix some together from different ones and we drank some of it. And, uh, I remember he was always kind of a paranoid kid and, uh, he kind of just believed everything his parents told him. And so his, his mom had told him that she knows where the lines are or where the liquor stands. Well, I remember one night he, we were watching, I even remember what movie we were watching. We were watching the dark night and he had fallen asleep <clears throat> at the couch and I was sitting there and I'm like, you know what? I'm about to get some of this liquor. And I'm like, I don't, I don't believe his mom put marks or anything. So I checked the liquor bottles. They didn't seem to have any marks. 
So I got me a little cup and I filled up some alcohol. And uh, I remember sipping on it and the way I felt, it was just incredible. I mean, it, it mellowed you out. You were kind of dizzy. You know, you had this kind of euphoria about it. And uh, I was like, man, this feels great. Well, from that point on, it became a big part of my life when it came to school, trying to get out of school, ditching school, you know, running away from the uh, campus police, uh, hiding out behind the woods, you know, going to the creek and and uh, getting liquor and getting drunk. And uh, and, you know, with with that lifestyle, I kind of dragged my sister into it also with the alcohol. I, uh, you know, I, I would invite her to these, these run-ins and runaways from school. And I would tell her, Hey, you know, meet us at this point or this place. And, uh, alcohol became a big thing for me in, in high school. You know, I hung out with like a group of Ukrainian Russian guys and, uh, you know, we like to pride ourselves on our drinking, which looking back at it, I'm like, it's just so ridiculous. I mean, you're in school, you're a young kid, you have so much in front of you. And you're priding yourself in the most destructive thing in life. I mean, I don't care what you think about drinking. The facts are that drinking destroys your life and it destroys your health and it destroys everything that has to do with well-being. And so, especially in excess, and that's exactly what we were doing. I mean, there was a few times that I got so drunk in high school that I remember right now my friends were wheeling me around in a grocery cart and I was laying in it like a bum because I was so drunk and I actually think I had alcohol poisoning at that time because I was sick my stomach hurt so bad I was completely sick nauseous I couldn't do anything I couldn't even pick my head up for longer than 15 minutes and uh you know we went we would go to McDonald's they would kind of slump me into the sea and I would just be sitting there with my head on you know my face on the on the table and the first thing uh most young people think is you know hey get some food into you the bread will soak up the alcohol and uh, that'll help you out. That'll, that'll make you better. All that bread, it'll just make you so much better. And, uh, you know, to an extent, yeah, food does, you know, kind of lower the impact that alcohol has on you. Um, but I don't think it does what everyone, <laughs> what everyone thinks it does. Time is the only thing that can sober a person up. Um, well, anyway, so, you know, by the end of that day, they wheeled me back to class or to school and then dropped me off on campus. I slowly stumbled back to class and it just so happened that they were watching a movie in class. So when I walked in, I just kind of slumped into my seat and put my head down and uh, didn't get caught. So even with pot and alcohol, for the most part, I was very sneaky when it came like to my parents. Um, I would tell them I'm going to the gym with my friends, you know, that this, I got a ride. I got this. I got that. And we would go out and drink and smoke and do whatever we wanted to do. Um and, you know, the night would wind down and we would do that for maybe two or three hours, come home, slip into the shower, go to bed. And uh, for the most part, I was able to kind of, you know, evade my parents when it came to that subject. Um, my brother, he wasn't so lucky. Um, there was I remember there was a time when my dad caught him with weed in his pocket because he had this huge lump in his pocket. And it's because he had a bunch of weed wrapped up in foil. And, uh, and my dad's like, what is that? What's in your pocket? And he's like, nothing. So obviously my dad's like, well, take it out, show it to me. So he took it out and it was a bunch of pie. And he's like, where'd you find it? He said, oh, we found it in the grass and the shrubs by the creek. My dad's like, you know, BS. And so he's like, you guys been smoking it? And he's like, no. So my dad goes to the store and gets these drug tests. Well, 
my brother and me, while they're at the store, we get the bright idea that we're going to eat charcoal. Because <laughs> we heard that, you know, there's these charcoal pills that, you know, clean out your system or do whatever. So we thought, you know, it would be a good idea to eat charcoal. Uh, so we're b- crushing charcoal, breaking it down, making crumbs of charcoal, just, you know, eating it up. And uh, I remember my parents came back with the drug tests. You know, me and my brother both pissed in the test. And, uh, the crazy thing is, is his lit up for pot and mine didn't. And so I got off scot-free while my brother, who's three years younger than me, got, you know, in trouble for smoking pot. So based on the drug test, my parents concluded, well, Vadim doesn't smoke, you know, and his brother does. So he's the one we need to focus on. So they didn't focus on me as much because they thought I'm this, you know, honest aid type kid. And my brother's just, you know, a, a problem child. When the reality was, I was the one who was kind of seducing the brothers and sisters into this stuff. But I was so sneaky and conniving with it that they weren't able to catch me. And I, and I wasn't going to come out and tell them, oh, yeah, hey, I did smoke pot. But it just didn't show up on the test because, I mean, I was terrified. I was terrified of my dad. I was terrified of what was going to happen. So I just didn't talk about it. I mean, I don't know of any kid that would just come out and say, yeah, I did this, I did that. And, you know, there's not really much of an incentive when you think you're going to get punished for it. You know, for the most part, when parents telling you, hey, it's okay, look, I'm not going to punish you. Just tell me the truth. A child might say the truth. Um, But when you're terrified and you're scared that you're going to get in trouble, you're not going to come out and, you know, tell the truth. It just doesn't make sense for a kid to do that. Um, Well, what's interesting about that story is my sister later on said that she went and dug through the trash can and found the test. And that mine actually did light up. It just took a while to light up. So, you know, in their hastiness to, you know, to do, you know, what they wanted to do to uh, proclaim judgment, you know, and say, oh, this is your punishment. This is what's going to happen. They didn't wait for the test to see what happened. They didn't wait long enough to see the results on mine, which I would probably would have been busted for mine. Um, So just these series of events that kind of took place that caused my brother to constantly get caught and get in trouble. And I was always kind of getting away. Um, at a certain point in my life, I remember this was a big point in my life, like a big kind of area in my life that I kind of used a lot of alcohol. Um, I used my uncle as like a way to, to have a vehicle. And, you know, my uncle was a very trustworthy person. He didn't do anything at that time, but I kind of seduced him into, you know, starting to smoke pot and drinking and all this other stuff too. And, um, you know, he was kind of antisocial. He didn't really know how to talk to girls or anything. But, you know, me, I, 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 you know, because of the alcohol, because of the other things in my life, I kind of picked up quickly how to do those things and how to talk to people and how to get out of situations or get into situations. And so um, I used him and his car as a way to pick people up, to go to parks while we were telling our parents we're at the gym. And I think he was about three years older than me. So if I was like 15, he'd be 16, 17, 18. Um, so if I needed to buy, you know, rolling papers or whatever, he would buy them for me. Um, I remember, you know, buying chewing tobacco for the first time. The first time I ever found chewing tobacco, I would walk down my street off when I got off the bus. And this old man would always throw out a can into his ditch. And the weirdest part about it was when I picked this can up one time after I seen him throw it out when he went inside. I picked this can up and I opened it and it was half full. I've asked a lot of people who dip and they're like, I have no clue. That doesn't make any sense to me. Because if I saw like just some skimpy little crumbs, I probably wouldn't have reached in there and, and, and try to grab some and put it in my lip. 
but you know it was half full so i'm like well this looks nice and clean and you know packed so i got some and i put it in my mouth and i heard it was called chewing tobacco so i actually started chewing the stuff and uh man i'll tell you that made me sicker than a dog i wanted to throw up right away if you've ever you know tried chewing tobacco it is not something you're actually going to chew that's a completely different type of chewing tobacco um so anyways, so, you know, I was getting him to buy us chew, you know, we were experimenting with that, you know, we would drive around like we were little gangsters. I still remember now we would get these little tiny pinches of chewing tobacco and just put them in the very front of our lip. And anyone knows anything about chewing tobacco, you don't do that. You, you know, you get a decent little pinch and you put it on, you know, like the left side or right side of your cheek. Um, and anyone who does put it in the front of their lip, they don't take like a little skimpy pinch for the most part. Um, and it would be just kind of floating around on our front lip, moving around all the time. We couldn't ever keep it in place. We'd just be spitting all over the place, like, puh, 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 you know, getting it out of our mouth. Uh, so it's pretty stupid. I mean, we, we didn't know what we were doing for sure, which, you know, in a sense, that's kind of good. You know, we shouldn't have been professionals at that age. That's for sure. Um, which I know some of the people's stories out there are like that, man, they're cooking crack by age five and all this other stuff. That wasn't my story. Um, so anyway, so, you know, now I'm with my brother and, um, I'm, I'm kind of living wild and out, you know, I'm, I'm living this high life, just going to, you know, meet people, hanging out with chicks, doing stuff, um, making out with girls, living that kind of fun life that a young person wants to live. Um, but I still never felt like I had real freedom because I always had to get home. I always had a curfew. I always had to make up these lies. I was always trying to keep up with my own lies. And uh, it was just a lot of pressure for me. Uh, it was a lot of work to keep up with the lies, to keep up with all the BS. And uh, I realized that one problem was that the school I went to, because I went from junior high when I went to finally went to high school, one of the problems was the high school was so big that when I, went, was that when I was in junior high, there wasn't that many students there. Um, so I was able to kind of have a reputation, have a set group of friends, uh, kind of control things and uh, have my way in life. But when I got into high school, there were so many students in the high school I went to that I was a nobody. You know, I was no one. I remember now in high school being so self-conscious and all this other stuff because I was a freshman. You know, yeah, I thought girls didn't like me because, you know, most girls that are freshmen, they're going for sophomores, juniors, you know, seniors. Um, so for me, I was like, why don't these girls like me? But I wasn't going to, you know, to the, the back to junior high to find girls or anything, you know, because I think this was past that time when that was okay. This was, you know, the, the time when, you know, if you were already in high school, you just didn't mess with, you know, middle school girls, which I know some guys still did, but for the most part, it was kind of frowned upon because of the age differences, which, you know, <laughs> it was only a year or two, but in, you know, in our eyes, you know, Hey, you're, you're, uh, uh, 15, 16, she's 13. Well, man, you can't mess with a 13 year old. Um, <clears throat> and so anyways, I remember, you know, being in high school and just always feeling like I didn't fit in, you know, feeling like, um, I couldn't find that right group of friends. You know, like I said, I did have a few Russian friends, but they were all, uh, like juniors and seniors. So, um, for me, I was always felt like I was less than, you know, um, these guys were awesome guys. I was hanging out with them. They all had cars and stuff, but, uh, I still wasn't on the same level with them. You know, they weren't my age. They weren't, you know, the way I was, they were all two, three years older than me. And, uh, so if I wasn't just using them for rides or, you know, drinking with them and doing other stuff to me, there wasn't much 
of anything else. There wasn't really much of a friendship. Even the the humor that we had wasn't, you know, exactly the same because, you know, my humor was a little more immature than theirs and whatever. Well, in in middle school, and I got in a few fights. In high school, I got in a few fights. So um, I, I did make myself known. I, I went to football practice. Uh, I was about to start playing football. The, the first you know, games were about to start and my parents took me out of football. Uh, that was a crushing moment for me because I had a, you know, cheerleader girlfriend. I was playing football. I was like, this is it. This is, this is my life. This is what it's going to be. And then all of a sudden my parents take me out of football because of, you know, back issues. And, uh, that was it. I was like, man, this, this is, I'm done. You know, there's nothing else here for me because in my eyes, education was nothing. I, I didn't look at education at all. My mom used to do homework with me when we were younger, but I was the oldest of six kids. So she had a lot of other kids to, to have to manage and take care of. So, you know, she was working on their levels of, of education, you know, their levels of math. And when it came to high school and stuff, she didn't have much of an education herself. So she would, you know, it was hard for her to sit there and, and especially as a foreign woman who hardly understood English to sit there and try to figure out you know, pre-algebra and geometry and all this other stuff and try to help me out. And, you know, she had her ways of doing math that she learned back in Ukraine. And it was completely different. Like they put stuff in boxes um, when we just write it out left to right, which was weird to me. So I was like, man, I can't be doing math like this. So, so education definitely wasn't something that I was focusing on in my life at the time. Um, it was all about having fun and finding your next fun time, fun experience and fix. It was all about excitement and enjoying, you know, just physical stuff. Um, well, so anyway, so I finally crafted this master plan. I, I heard my cousin told me about this high school that was all Ukrainians, all Russians, all people that were from, you know, the country that I was from. And I knew if I can get into that school because I'm better. <clears throat> how do I let me try to put this in the right way. I knew I would be better in manipulating and producing the image I wanted to produce in that kind of school than I would be in a huge school with a lot of, you know, mixed cultures. Um, it was a lot harder in that school to get the desired status than it was for in a school where it was just the same culture that I was familiar with. And uh, <clears throat> it was a lot smaller. So I ended up telling my parents that I wanted to go to this school. I don't remember what the reason was that I told them. I think that I told them, like, I was going to learn better. <laughs> uh, it was harder for me to learn in this big school. And uh, I remember to this day, my dad wasn't buying it. Um, but I still somehow, you know, played the right cards and got to do that. So in sophomore year, um, I get to this uh, all kind of like Russian-Ukrainian school, which they they taught, you know, English and, you know, all these other things, now algebra, but, you know, in some classes they might teach it in Russian, but then in some classes they might teach it in English. And in the whole school of like 300 plus students, we only had like two, you know, bona fide American born people. I was actually born in Ukraine. And a lot of the students there were born in different countries, you know, in Ukraine or Russia, or there were kids of parents who just came from there. So, um, you know, everyone's pretty much either first or second generation foreigners. Um, so just like I had planned in my head in this school, I, you know, I took off. I, 
I started making a group of friends. I had a little gang that had I had with me. And when I say gang, what I mean is like just a group of guys that we BS'd with. Uh, you know, we liked the same jokes. We we all went to kind of similar jobs or we, some of us went to the same job. I got this little paper job where I would walk door to door and subscribe people to the paper. Hello? Hi, my name is Vadim. I'm here because blah, 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 blah. And I'm trying to get money for my college tuition and da, 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 da. Or I'm trying to win a, uh, you know, a, a, a trip to Kings Island and all this other bull crap. And uh, I want to, you know, here's a free paper. You know, they take the free paper. Uh, you know, I'm here because blah, blah, blah. And try to, to get them to subscribe. Well, I hated the job, you know. Uh, I wasn't an outgoing person like my brother. I wasn't confrontational. I wasn't uh, able to stand up for myself. So I wasn't able to, to cut the job and make it great make it work out for me. I was able to make enough sales to kind of last. Um, but it was very, very, very difficult for me. And it was very demeaning. I mean, uh, the amount of people that shut doors in your faces, if you're not the kind of guy to put your foot in the door, um, it can beat you up. And, uh, we used to have the saying called, uh, kick your dog. And, uh, the guy who would drive us around, he would always, when he saw your face after a, you know, a long night of getting rejected, he would say, man, did you get your dog kicked? Or I think he would say, did you get your puppy kicked? And I asked him like, "Why'd you guys use? Why'd you guys use that phrase? Why are you guys using that phrase? Did you get your puppy kicked?" And he's like, "Well, he's like, well, if somebody kicked your puppy, he's like, you'd get pretty upset, wouldn't you?" I'm like, "Yeah, I guess." And he's like, "Well, that's why we say it. You know, you look like you got your puppy kicked." And uh, so this job, you know, kind of it was hard, but I made some money. Um, but during this whole time, I'm still doing the same thing. I'm, I'm drinking now. I got a even better connection with people. Um, you know, I got girlfriends, I got some sort of popularity in my eyes, um, because of having a girlfriend in school, because of, you know, having people that I, you know, uh, um, correlate or associate with where really well, um, I was kind of a mean kid in a sense of, uh, I was really vengeful. Like if you did something towards me, especially if it was a female, um, there was one girl who didn't deserve what I did to her, but she, uh, I think she told me at one point, like I was, I was really talkative in classes and I was trying to be the class clown, but I really wasn't that funny. Um, and I remember one time I was talking and, and, uh, she told me, she said, Vadim, just shut up. Nobody likes you. Nobody wants to hear you anymore. And, uh, that offended me so bad that I'm like, man, I got to get back at her because, you know, everybody heard that in class and, uh, I got to prove her wrong and show her that, you know, nobody likes her, you know, people do like me. So I went and got this, these two pieces of paper and actually asked people to sign it and, uh, explaining why they didn't like this girl. Well, if you come up to anyone and ask them, Hey, what don't you like about this person? And that's just the only option you're giving them. They're going to think of something. And, uh, so, you know, the paper's got a few signatures and, uh, in my, you know, high mindedness and, and, and uber, uber genius mentality, I was like, you know what, I'm going to go and post this on Facebook. So I posted on Facebook, got busted for that. The principal called me in and said, look, if somebody were to commit suicide over something like that, you'd be screwed, blued, and tattooed. And I was like, dang, okay, yes, that ain't no joke. I'm not going to mess with that anymore. And her dad actually worked at the school. So when I left the office, he kind of came up to me and put his hand on my shoulder in that, you know, intimidating kind of way, squeezed my shoulder a bit and was like, you know, hey, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, is that a threat? <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, so I'm going to wrap this podcast up. I just wanted to get to this first part of my uh, little chapter in life. So this was while I was living in California. Um, at age like 16, 
this was while I was in sophomore year. This is in that school with the Russians and Ukrainians and stuff. This is when my dad randomly comes up and says, hey, we're moving to Kentucky. Um, he had some uh, job opportunities to work with horses. He was really you know, good with horses. He had a few horses in California, and somebody had noticed how he was. So they said, hey, move to Kentucky. We got your business there. We'll help you out. We'll you know, give you work. We'll give you this amount of money. And, uh, you know, he went for the for the opportunity. Um, so up to this point in my life, I'm, you know, really cocky. I've got everything I kind of want. Everything's planned out for me. And I for me in my own head. And I remember even up to this point when my dad told me, hey, we're probably going to move to Kentucky. The main thought that I kept thinking was, well, I'm this cool now. So I'll be this cool when I get to high school in Kentucky. I'll be this cool cat. I'll be this, you know, everything I want to be when I get to Kentucky. Why not? It has to be. These people are, you know, uh, um, not like us here in the California. So we'll definitely, I'll, I'll have like some differences in me. I'll have something that stands out. People want to know me. All this bull crap that I was feeding myself because of my ego was so inflated at the time. Um, all the drinking, all the stuff that was going on in my life that I thought was, you know, giving me some kind of status was filling my head thinking that that's what's going to happen in Kentucky. Um, so next podcast, I'll talk about what happened in Kentucky and a little bit more of, you know, how my life got into alcohol. Um, so anyways, but in that school, while I was in uh, 10th grade, my first run in with drugs was I remember this kid talking about looking for some kind of drug. And it was, a, it was a Russian kid. And I remember he was like, I'm looking for this man. He was asking some other guy that I knew personally. And so I came up kind of, you know, eavesdropping. And I was like, so what is this thing you're looking for? And he said, it's Vicodin. And I'm like, what's Vicodin? He said, it's a painkiller. And your parents probably have it in their medicine cabinet. And I'm like, okay. And so in my head, I'm like, well, it's about money. You know, I was, I was what, 15, maybe 16 at the time. So in my head, I wasn't, you know, I hadn't done drugs like, pills or anything up to that point so i'm thinking well this guy's saying he'll buy three dollars a pill so you know three dollars seems like a lot so i'll do it and uh wouldn't you know i dig through my dad's pill you know cabinet or whatever and i found a whole bottle of vicodin and uh you know i decided that i'm gonna you know sell this kid some but i'll keep like four or five and uh that was my first run in with uh with pills. You know, I took those Vicodin. I was like, wow, this makes me feel great. I feel even better than when I drink. There's not that hangover. There's not that, you know, dizzy feeling. You feel really relaxed. I'm like, heck yeah, this is what I want to do. Um, also at that time, there was another guy who was associated with the guy that wanted Vicodin. So you can see where the, you know, the ties are meeting. Um, that had uh, offered me ecstasy. Uh, and what's crazy is for the, the first time I've ever tried ecstasy, it was 100% pure MDMA. I mean, when I took this stuff, it rocked my world. I mean, I fell in love with everyone. Um, I remember there was this frumpy kind of girl in high school and, uh, you know, she wasn't a cool cat or anything at the time. She's really beautiful now, but back then, you know, her body wasn't formed all the way and stuff. And, uh, and, you know, she wasn't popular or anything, but I was just like, I loved her for her. I mean, I was so high that I was just like, you're so awesome. You're so beautiful. This and that. I just listened to everything she had to say. And I listened to her whole life story. And, uh, 
And the next day, I was like, what? What happened? Why am I trying to talk to you? And uh, so that was my first run in with MDMA. You know, it made me feel really, really just kind of this fake kind of lovey-dovey feeling. But really what it is is you got so much chemicals produced in your brain and you're just like, oh, everything's awesome. Everything's cool. And uh, I remember one thing, I, I would get really cold for no reason. And uh, but anyways, you guys, so that's going to wrap up this first uh, episode about my run in with drugs and alcohol leading up to uh, my rehab and uh, just the things that I went through and kind of what I learned, you know, along the road. So uh, thank you for listening again. This is 90s Guy Babble. Take care.